So the book of Judges is a book of patterns. Do you remember that? We looked last time how in the, in the opening chapters, the author of Judges does something that you wouldn't expect in a book of the Bible or in any book, really. The author kind of tells you in advance the pattern or the cycle that you're going to read throughout the rest of the, the main part of the book of Judges, really from Judges 3 all the way to the 16th chapter of the book of Judges. You're going to read about the same terrible, sad, downward spiral, this cycle of Israel abandoning Yahweh for for foreign gods, for, for Baal, the Ashtoreth, for, for other gods. And then that will stir the Lord's anger against his people. And so he'll, he'll bring judgment on them, usually at the hands of, of foreigners around them who will, uh, will be able to defeat them and oppress them and enslave them or things like this. And, and then the people's lives will get so bitter, so hard, that eventually they'll cry out, to the Lord, to Yahweh, for, for help, for, for mercy. And God, because he's so compassionate, will have pity on his people. And he'll, he'll raise up a judge to, to come and, and deliver the people from their enemies. And, and the people will follow the Lord for a little while. But, but certainly after the judge dies, the people will go right back into their old ways and turn completely away from the Lord and begin worshiping other gods. And so God will get angry and he'll judge the people. And then they'll, they'll cry out for mercy and God will have pity and raise up a judge. And this is the cycle that you see over and over again throughout the book of Judges, from Judges 3 all the way to Judges chapter 16. Now, the, the stories are amazing stories. I'd encourage you to, to read through them. Uh, the book of Judges is fascinating reading, a lot of amazing stories of deliverance. But the thing that I would highlight right now is that when you look at the guys that God raises up to save his people, these are not special people. Uh, the, these are, in fact, very, very flawed people that God is using to rescue his sinful people. Uh, some of them are cowards. Uh, some of them uh, make terribly rash vows. I mean, this one guy, at least this one guy does, he, he actually vows after like a, a victory that he's going to like sacrifice the next thing he sees on his way home. And, and he, it's his daughter that he sees. Uh, one of the guys is incredibly uh, immoral. Uh, he, he's sensual and he's foolish. Uh, one of the guys is even left-handed. Uh, I'm just kind of joking. I mean, he is left-handed, but it's, it's kind of ironic in the story. Uh, his name is Ehud, uh, but he's a son of, of the tribe of Benjamin, which means a son of my right hand. And so you have this left-handed man from the right-handed people or whatever, you know, and, and there's just this kind of feel throughout the book of Judges that, that these are not the kind of people that you would expect God to use to rescue his people. But the thing that makes them successful is that God is with them. He is with them to deliver them. And I think we learn uh, from the book of Judges, uh, maybe in an extreme way, that, that the people that God uses are, are very flawed. And it doesn't excuse uh, the, the character of these folks 
uh, in Judges, and often you'll see much better examples throughout the rest of the story uh, of the kind of people that God uses. But at the end of the day, everybody that God uses is flawed. Everybody that God uses in these stories in the Old Testament is, is sinful. And, and, and we see that especially in the book of Judges. But yet, because of their inadequacies, we see God's power to save through unexpected ways and, and to use uh, unqualified people even to accomplish his purposes and to, and to show mercy to his people. And this pattern continues all the way to the end of Judges chapter 16. And then you get this massive break in the pattern. And you start a new pattern from Judges 17 through the end of the book. And if you've never read Judges 17 through 21, kind of the last section of the book, is absolute chaos in Israel. Some of the hardest stuff to read, actually, for me uh, in, the whole, in the whole Bible. It begins in Judges chapter 17 with a man uh, named Micah. And we don't know much about this guy, but Judges chapter 17, this man Micah uh, kind of comes out of nowhere and he steals 1,100 pieces of silver from his mom. All right, so great guy, right? He eventually, though, tells mom, and mom is like, oh, thank you for telling me. Blessed be my son by Yahweh. And so he gives the silver back and the mom kind of dedicates it to the Lord in a way, gives it to her son though, uh, to make an idol, okay? So now Micah makes this idol and this shrine for his idol, but, but he feels like, I really need a priest for my idol. And so he has a son. And so he's, son, you should be my priest for our idol so that we can worship. And then the storyteller, you're like, what is this story about? And then the storyteller tells you in Judges 17, verse 6. Look at Judges 17, verse 6. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, one day Micah meets up with a Levite. And remember, the Levites have been like designated to really care for the the tent, the tabernacle, and to serve the Lord. And, and Micah, who's got this idol and this shrine, and his son has been ordained kind of as the priest, he sees the Levite, and once he thinks, you know what, that Levite would be a lot better priest than my son. I mean, he, he would be a good one. And he's kind of out of work, apparently. So Micah says, hey, why don't you become my priest? And so now Micah has upgraded, right, he, from his son as a priest to an actual living Levite. And Micah says in Judges 17, verse 13, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. And then you see Judges 18, verse 1, the next verse, In those days there was no king in Israel. And then the story goes on, and you and got the tribe of Dan. Uh, sends out five guys to, to spy out some territory because they, they want some land. And they end up coming across this Micah's priest. And they get some advice about how they can take the land. But when they go back to tell the, the clan or the, or the tribe, the brothers in Dan, you know, uh, did you, uh, about this, they say, did you know that there's an idol up there and that there's a shrine up there? And so they come up to Micah's place and they, and they steal 
the god and the shrine and the priestly stuff and they take the priest too and they tell the priest this levite hey wouldn't it be better for you to be a priest for a whole bunch of people than just to be a priest for micah and so the in judges 18 20 we find out the priest's heart was so glad about this and micah found, finds out about it though and he's all sad and everything but dan's too strong so so now dan has the priest and the idol and the shrine and and then there's this shocking revelation in the account about this unnamed Levite. And I want you to see it. Look at Judges 18, verse 29. Judges 18, 29. This is after they have like completely uh, slaughtered this unsuspecting people and taken the city. They, they name this city Dan after the name of their ancestor. And Judges 18, verse 30 says... And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. Okay, so they, so they now have a city and they set up the idol and, my, and they've got this Levite who's going to be uh, their priest. And then listen what it says. It says, And Jonathan, the son of Gershon, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Now, did, I don't know if you caught that. Okay, so let me help us. So, so that Levite that we've been reading about, priest here, pre, you know, and now a priest for them, for an idol, his name is Jonathan, and he's the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. I mean, it, this is either saying that he's the literal grandson of Moses, or at least that he is the offspring of Gershom, the offspring of Moses, that this guy is actually a descendant, not too long away apparently, of Moses himself. I mean, do you catch that? Can it really be that, that a Levite, who's supposed to be one of God's chosen people to serve him, is actually serving as a priest for an idol. And, and not just that he's any Levite, he's maybe even the grandson of Moses himself. Could things have possibly gotten that bad that fast? And then we come into Judges 19, verse 1, and it says again, you see it, in those days when there was no king in Israel, are you noticing this new pattern? None of this was said in Judges 1 through 16. But once you get to chapter 17, it breaks that cycle. And now we're just seeing this repeated. There's no king in this land. Now we've heard one story, that, a long story about a Levite. And now the rest of the story of Judges is going to be connected to another Levite. This one had a concubine. Uh, kind of uh, a woman that he took around uh, with him, kind of maybe like not fully a wife, something like this. So she ended up being unfaithful to him, and she went back to her dad's house. And eventually, he goes back, or he goes to try to win her back. And after a good while, he's able to convince her to come back uh, with him. But it's getting a little late in the day when he wants to leave. And, but he really wants to get out of where she's living. And so he wants to go back towards his home. And he has this opportunity, interesting in the story, to stop 
near a, a, a town uh, that is inhabited by foreigners with, with this concubine. But, but he doesn't want to do that because he doesn't, he doesn't want to stay with other people. He wants to be definitely with the people of Israel. And so he gets to this, this town of Gibeah, a, a place that's ruled by the people of Benjamin. And sure enough, there's some hospitality there for him. An old man uh, sees him and the concubine, and he takes them into his house, and he begins to take care of them, showing hospitality to uh, these traveling uh, Israelites. Now, why I'm telling the story is I want you to see what the book of Judges says in Judges 19, verses 22 and following. And this is really hard for us to read. But this is, I think, the point that the author of Judges wants you to see in these crazy stories. Look at Judges 19, verse 22. As they were making their hearts merry, so you got this old man and, and this, this couple, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. Now, if you don't understand what that's saying, they're saying, send that guy out to us so that we can basically rape him. And you think, whoa. And remember, that is happening specifically in Israel because the guy didn't want to stay with foreigners. He wanted to stay with Israel. And this is the condition in Benjamin, in the tribe of Benjamin, in the city of Gibeah. And what do you hear? Bring out the man that we may know him. And, and it's not just going to be that. Maybe you're hearing it already, but it's going to be more than that. Look at verse 23. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, Know my brothers. Do you hear it yet? This is exactly what Lot did in Sodom when he tried to protect those two, two angels. No, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. This man has come to my house. Don't do this. Behold, verse 24, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them. Do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, don't do this outrageous thing. But the men wouldn't listen to him. They didn't want the girls. They wanted the man. So the man seized his concubine, this is a Levite now, seizes his concubine and, and throws her out of the house to this mob of, of men. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning and we opened the door of the house and went out to go on his way. Behold, there was his concubine lying at the door with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. And then he put her on the donkey and the man rose up and went away to his house. And, and this is one of the worst stories that I've ever read. But there is something profoundly significant about this. Because okay, what, what echoes can you hear so loudly through the whole story? What's the author trying to tell us? What's the condition of Israel? Israel has become Sodom. Now, we're not going to take the time to work through the rest of the judges, but it is absolute chaos the rest of the way. 
But then you get to the last verse of Judges. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, what do you think it's going to say? There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You think, how, how do you feel when you leave the book of Judges? Like you need to take a shower? That's kind of how I feel. It's a disgusting ending to a terribly depressing book. Everyone is doing what is right in his own eyes. And they're being given over to whatever they want, to whatever they can think of and come up with. Whether it's about worship or sex or whatever, they, they're just pursuing whatever it is that they want. They're being given over, it seems like, to these things. And that's a terrible thing. Even though God has shown his grace repeatedly through the book of Judges, constantly showing them pity when they cry out to him, they are desperately wicked. Israel has become Sodom, and they deserve the fate of Sodom. But then we think, what, what are you longing for at the end of Judges? What is the author at the end of the book when he tells these horrible stories to get you to see that Israel's like Sodom? What does he keep saying? that maybe creates a little bit of longing in your heart. He keeps saying there was no king in Israel. And since early in Genesis, we've known a king is coming. And now more than ever, we're longing for a king to come, right? Because that's about the only hope you got at the end of Judges. It's like, well, maybe he's saying that because he thinks that maybe if there was a king in Israel, maybe things could change.